Hey, it's your wingman, Kagan, and welcome to the Dangerously Vulnerable Podcast, where we talk to honest leaders who care less about perception and more about the success of others. Today, we're going to dive into a visionary's life and learn how adversity, failings, and bad decisions have shaped their lives, their thinking, and their definition of success. There's absolutely no room for inflated success stories, so you can take notes on the learnings that have shaped them for the better. This podcast is brought to you by Height Digital in Oklahoma City, one of the leading creative and marketing agencies for visionaries looking to accelerate their growth and increase their revenue. Let's go. Chef Gabe in the house. How you doing? Doing pretty good. How about yourself? Hey, I'm doing good. Well, congratulations on being on the Dangerously Vulnerable podcast. You've had to have something happen to you to actually be on this podcast. Congrats. Uh, well, I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a lot to talk about and, you know, I've already kind of prepped you uh, that we definitely want to talk about some of the successes you have, but everyone can find those on Google. What I really want to learn about more today is going into the vulnerable side of Chef Gabe, Gabriel Lewis, and hear a little bit more about how you got there. Okay. But first, tell us just a little bit about yourself uh, some people may not know exactly who you are. So just tell us a little bit about who you are and where you've come from. Absolutely. So uh, name is Gabriel Lewis. I've been a chef and private influencer for about uh, the past five years or so. Um, doing anything from three to course, three to five course menus. Um, I've also done cooking classes, uh, traveled abroad to kind of, you know, broaden my horizons and teach people and cook people um, across the country uh, from ages, you know, eight to 50, 60. So uh, kind of taking my time to really learn people and learn food and parlayed that into um, a beautiful private chef business, beautiful social media profiles, and a second chance at a white apron on MasterChef Back to Win. Okay, you got to tell us really quick, how in the world did you get on MasterChef? Like, how did that all work? So it is the, one, to me, it's one of the most interesting stories. I had no idea about an audition. Uh, my sister actually just sent me a Craigslist post and said, this may be random, this may be true, it may be a scam, but I feel like you should, you know, go into this and figure out exactly what it is, and if it's real, apply for it. And immediately, I think Craigslist and TV, it's got to be a scam or something a little bit it more is, mature. It's got to be a scam. Yeah, so um, I, I end up doing my due diligence and realize that it is an actual uh, casting call. So I go to the casting call on my brother's birthday, nonetheless, March 12th, uh, 2016, I walk in with a beautiful pork belly dish that uh, the judges that were there were able to cut with a plastic knife. And from that point on, they just sent me through the process of doing interviews, kind of knowledge tests, making sure that I was kind of the real deal as far as a foodie and an aspiring chef. And that was probably about a three month process before they finally just told me, hey, we want to fly you out to LA and we want you to compete for White Apron. Wow. So a Craigslist, I, I can't even believe your sister sent that to you. Yeah, just a simple Craigslist post. That's that's pretty incredible. Um, I would I would really like to know what she was actually looking for. So it was freelance photography gigs. That was kind of what she was going after on Craigslist, and she came across something that said Master Chef. She knew I was a huge fan, and uh, was like, you know, it's a likelihood it's fake, but in, on the off chance it's real, might as well send it to him. Wow. All right. So would you say that was kind of when all your success really started taking light? Um, it's definitely the first opportunity I had to showcase what I could do to the world. So I think that that was probably the tipping point for everything that's happened since. So absolutely. And when was that? That was March 12th of 2016. All right. So, so 2016, you said, or 17? 2016. 
16. All right. So that happens. And tell me a little bit about what happens next. Um, so I go out to LA, um, you know, they sent us about a week of, um, kind of this trial by fire. So there was 80 people. They cut it down to 40 for television. And on that Friday, before they actually started doing the auditions the following Monday, they said, Hey guys, we just want to let you know, we're gonna put you guys in two different rooms, 40 in each, uh, one room goes home, one room stays. And so you're oh literally just sitting on the edge of your wow. seat, looking around and going, ah, I cook with some of these people. I don't know <laughs> whether I'm in the good bunch or the bad one. <laughs> wow. Okay. So you're feeling the heat right now. Absolutely. And you know, the producers walk into each room. Um, they're really good about not giving you anything, you know, expressive wise. They just are very, very stoic and they walk into the room and they just kind of give us this quiet whisper of, you know, we appreciate you all coming in. We appreciate everybody putting their time and effort forth for this week. And we just want to let you know that you guys uh, made it. And just so nonchalant that everybody's expecting us to get kicked off. And in all reality, we were the top 40. Oh, my gosh. All right. So what's going through your mind at that point? Uh, hold, on, hold on. How old are you? I was 19 at that point. Okay, you're 19. So so you're a child. Pretty much. Sitting with all these other adults. <laughs> Pretty much. And what's going through your mind? Um, in my mind, I was just fortunate to be there in any capacity. I figured, you know, if I was great enough to make it at least to that point, then I have something to look forward to or strive towards. So in my mind, at any point in time, if I were to get cut, it just told me exactly where my skill level lied. Um, so I was still nervous, but I wouldn't allow myself to get disappointed at that mark. So uh, when we finally heard that we were going, I got super joyous, super excited, uh, then looked around and said, okay. So who are they going to put me against? <laughs> so my mind immediately wow. went into versus mode. Wow. All right. So we're going to skip forward, fast forward a little bit. I don't want to tell the ending yet of what happens because I want to get into that in a second. So you're done with MasterChef. What happens next? So um, when I run my race, you know, I, I get all the way through to the point where I really couldn't push anymore and the dish got the better of me. Um you know, I had this weird combination of relief and sadness. So it was a pressure that came off of my shoulders that went, whew, I'm done. And then it was an immediate realization of, oh no, I'm done. <laughs> um, so it was, it was this weird mix of emotion. And then on top of that, everything that's already been building up to that point, um, Gordon Ramsay decides to send me to culinary school. Um, and Naron Sanchez decides to, to give a proposition of a job right after. So um, in my mind, they had just given me the next five years of my life. And I immediately kind of had this breakdown of, I don't know how to process this. So everything's just going to spill out on the table at once. Yeah. Yeah. And what's really funny is that, I mean, this is the, this is the video you're known for, right? Yeah. I mean, this is the, this is the video when everyone is looking for you. This is the video that they're talking about, right? Absolutely. And so uh, we'll, we'll get into that in just a little bit more. So you now have offer for a job. You also now have school, so you go to you go to school, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And where'd you go? I uh, went to Johnson and Wales. All right, and so you do that, and then what happens next? Um, so after you know the schooling is is going on, um, unfortunately, my mother ended up falling ill again. So she was sick uh, before I even received the audition, and had major invasive surgery to clear out ovarian cancer. Um, but unfortunately it had come back um, and it was pretty much immune to whatever treatment they could give her. So I had come back home to pretty much spend whatever time I had left with her um, and let her know that I wasn't going anywhere, that I was going to be here regardless. Yeah. 
Um, and, you know, it just it just immediately took a turn a little bit darker than it should have. And unfortunately, ended up passing from that September 3rd, uh, 2018. Wow. All right. So what's going through your mind at that point? Um, at that point, I had pretty much given up. So in my mind, it was an immediate I'm done. I don't know what to do from this point on. This was the woman that not only raised me, but gave me that kind of spark initially to even want to cook. Um, so all sense of passion and uh, excitement and drive towards that career goal had immediately vanished. And I had felt this kind of deep dread of not knowing what to do or where to go and feeling like the path that was already marked for me had immediately crumbled. So I had no interest in pursuing all of my passions and lights the moment that she left. Um, and then five minutes after I get this voice in my head that said, boy, if you stop cooking, I'm coming back and kicking your ass. So it was an immediate, <laughs> um, realization that that woman may have been gone, but she wasn't gone. And my drive may have been dampered, but wasn't gone as well. Wow. All right. So now where are you now? Let's talk about the now. Um, so the now I have successfully uh, been able to hold my own as a private chef in Oklahoma City, uh, winning Best Chef 2019 here in Oklahoma City as well. Um, been able to travel to the point where I made great contacts that led me to an incredible ring commercial with one of my idols and one of my mother's favorite chefs, um, Iron Chef Kat Cora, which has just allotted other opportunities to network and meet great people. And on top of all of this beauty, I have also been able to start writing my own cookbook, which features um, a chapter strictly dedicated to her cooking and recipes, as well as having this opportunity to really go back on MasterChef again. Man. Well, congrats. Congrats on all that. All right. So now I want to talk about some other things here. So the big thing that you're, that you're known for is the loss on MasterChef, right? I mean, we were laughing the other day. We were talking about like, you've been able to do all these amazing things and it's all because of a failure. All right. Now in the end, like everyone can look at this differently, negative, positive, whatever. But in the end, some people are like, Oh wow. Fail. Okay. Uh, you know, you didn't, you didn't make it, uh, all the way, but, uh, it seems like it's worked out pretty well for you, but, I want to talk a little bit more about what that actually meant, because I think there were some things that Gordon Ramsay actually said that were pretty true and honest about where you were and where were you at that time when you lost? Uh, So at that time I was incredibly inexperienced. Um, You know, it was just what I had to my knowledge. You know, I, I did a vocational program, Francis Tuttle here in Oklahoma city that gave me the kind of, um, I had really not had any training up to that point, you know, I had whatever the school had given me, but I hadn't had the diligent structure of going at it nonstop, you know, cooking in that kitchen, really putting my head down and just running the game. And um, I was really in need of that. And Chef Ramsey saw that and gave that opportunity to me. Wow. So you took that opportunity, but let's, let's dive a little bit deeper into that. Like, what were your, what were your thoughts when you lost and, and he was telling you, you know, where you were, did you already know? Like, okay, I know I'm already here. I already, I already know where this, where I'm at. Um, in my mind, I was struck. I was already struggling yeah. to keep up, you know? So for me, each challenge was just, you have to, you have to struggle to meet that end. And it wasn't coming from a place of, of an in-depth knowledge and understanding. It was coming from a place of instinct and almost survival instinct, because that's the arena that you're in. It's, you know, um, it's, it's kind of survival of the fittest or, you know, eat or fail. So 
for me, I knew I was having a hard time keeping up and every challenge got progressively more difficult. And on the challenge I inevitably went home on, which was a cannelloni or pasta, I knew that my knowledge and skill or lack thereof had already reached its peak and it become very vulnerable, very open to that point that once the clock started ticking down from 60 minutes, I pretty much knew it was set. Wow. So what was going through your mind at that time? Um, from the moment I was handed the pasta that I was uh, from another contestant, I immediately go, ah, I'm gone. <laughs> so I went through the 60 minute process, giving it what I had, but around the 20 minute mark, I could see everything crumbling and just fumbling and falling apart. Um, and so in my mind, I just thought, you know what? Let's just try to take it to the end and let's just, let's give it hell. That's, that's all I could think. I just like, let's give it what we got. Um, and once it's done, it's done. Who were you up against? There was another lady standing by you. So I was up against a woman named Yashika, who is still just one of the most gracious people that I know, super supportive and great energy. Um, and Yashika had pretty much, you know, gone through the fire and come out sometimes burnt, but sometimes, you know, without a, a, a flaw on her or a scratch on her. Um, and this one, she still, you know, came out a little bit burnt, but she came out through it. Um, I kind of got lost in the brush. So um, Yashika was a, an incredible contestant, very, you know, comforting energy, Southern cook by nature. Um, and I think that at that point in time, they knew that she still had a little bit more to give and that I was kind of at my peak. Wow. I remember her face when they said that you were going home. And it was really interesting because she started to cry. Why, why do you think she did that? Um, when you, when you do shows like this, you are only put with the people that you compete against. So as much as you can dislike somebody, you grow to love them as well. So my master chef contestants or competitors, I refer to very often as master chef family, because that's what we were. That's what we grew to be. So at that point in time, we had spent, you know, several months together, pretty much 24 hours a day, five to seven days a week. So we were so in each other's energy and became so close and bonded around not only this this competitive environment, but this love of food that when any of us would suffer a loss, we all felt it. Um, and me being the youngest, the people that were older than me that saw something in me immediately saw that lost in that moment. And it, it was just an emotion that a lot of people, including myself, couldn't really hold on to. Yeah. So what what was it like going home? Um it was a mix of relief and sadness. So for me, I had just lost my new norm. You know, I'd been here for about three months and what I had considered normal had immediately shifted and I had to, you know, re-engage myself to going back home, not being around these people that I'd grown to love, going back to the people that I've loved for so long. So it was a mix of, of sadness and joy, success and failure. You know, it, every emotion that I could think of on that spectrum contrasting one another at the same time. When you think about where you were, you know, and it, it became like a new normal for you. And I've moved before multiple times and that becomes your new normal. And then you move back and it's, it's quite interesting. The feeling of coming back, let's just say home. I think things, I think things really change for you during that time. What were some of the things that changed? Because did you feel like, okay, I can't go back and be the same person that I was. Um, 
my ability to conceptualize food as free as I had before MasterChef and during the show had dampened quite a bit. So my creativity was kind of uh, at its peak, at its end. I really couldn't re-engage that part of my mind for a while. I was very tired and exhausted. Um, you know, I went back to people that I love that were, you know, my family, my support system. And so it gave me a sense of comfort that I didn't have when I was in the competition. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like I said, you, you develop a new family, but there's still a level of competitiveness with that family. Yeah. So you're not able to be, um, you know, 100% vulnerable, 100% comfortable. Um, you just grow a certain level of comfort. So I dove back into the deeper levels of comfort that I had. Um, and it was just very inviting. It gave me a place to really reinvigorate my energy and find my creativity again uh, without having to tap into it in a way that stressed me out. Um, so for me, it was a healthy transition. It was just a very, very odd one. That's really interesting because uh, sometimes I would say I feel the exact opposite of coming back home. Sometimes I feel like I was more creative in another space and I feel like it's going to I'm going to go back to kind of the way I was and I don't want to change. But what you're, what you're saying is that it actually reinvigorated you and inspired you to really, I mean, you, you kind of started a new life, you know, in this chef world, right? Absolutely. That was, that was the pivot point for me to actually launch my career. Um, up to that point, I was working at Chipotle, you know, I was a grill cook, line cook, um, however you want to phrase it, um, you know, doing prep in the back of house and, um, you know, checking the line to see what they needed on black beans and bentos or chicken and steak. And, you know, that was my life five days a week. And it went from, you know, working under a corporation that has set rules that you cannot pivot or, or sway from to developing my own menus and, you know, building my own client list and talking to people about what their desires are in food and being as creative as I want to be. So it really gave me the opportunity to just jump off and create something on my own. So you have the loss, you come back home, you're reinvigorated, you start a business. Um, well, you go to school first, right? Were you, did you start a business during that time as well, or did you wait? Uh, I did. So when I came back, um, it was still kind of in the middle of it. And um, I had started my business. I had actually registered my LLC without really knowing where I was going to go with it. Um, so I'd officially started the business, but I really didn't have, I didn't have a client list. I didn't have an idea of where to, to pitch at. I didn't know who to target. I just, you know, had the thought in my mind of, I need to grow from here. You know, I was working at Chipotle while I was in school and I was asked on almost a daily basis by random customers that knew me from the show. Hey, why are you still here? And wow. Okay. Asked, hold on here. <laughs> so you go back to Chipotle. <laughs> And did, people yes. are asking you why, what is going on in your mind? I mean, is, uh, that would almost, I would think I would be like, all right, I'm the ultimate loser right now. What, what in my thinking? mind it was, so I, I went back because it was something that I knew I could pick back up pretty quickly. Um, and they offered me a manager position. So they trained me to become management when I went you know, to Colorado. Um, but when I kept getting asked the same question over and over again, it, it only takes so much you know, external questioning to do some internal questioning. So for me, I had to ask myself, what am I getting out of this? You know, um, is the money worth it? Is my time worth it? Am I frustrated? Am I happy? And on each box I had checked no, besides the frustration was checked yes. <laughs> so, you know, I went on a uh, Christmas break, come back home to Oklahoma City, and I had a new manager. My general manager had quit. And so she messaged me and said, hey, I uh, need your new availability. I uh, need to know when you're coming back. We need to talk, you know, just very stern, very, you know, callous, no warmth, nothing. Um, and so I just messaged back and said, hey, 
I'm already off your schedule. Keep it that way. I'm done. How, how did you feel at that point? Uh, I felt a weird mix of relief and discomfort. So it was the relief of not having to go back, but the discomfort of going, I don't have a job anymore. <laughs> right. All right. So what did you do? Um, I started just doing cooking classes um, and doing private events. So I started trying to teach myself how to do a three-course meal. Um, I had the concepts. I had the dishes. Um, I didn't know how much it would cost. I didn't know how much to charge people. So as I started to do it, I would, you know, people knew me from the show. They'd always message me to see if I could cook locally. And I would. And I had all this random equipment stuffed in this small, you know, um, was it Nissan Maxima, this 2002 Nissan Maxima. Um, I had people that would try to help me try stuff from here to there. You know, I was just flustered and everywhere, but I made it come together in this weird, chaotic way. And uh, at the end of all this stress and probably, you know, 24 to 48 hours worth of work, I may end up with $150, $200 in my pocket. Wow. All right. So we're going to fast forward a little bit. And one of the things that you experienced that you already talked about was uh, human loss. And so you've, you know, you've lost the master class or master chef. And, uh, you know, you've gone back to Chipotle, you've gone out of Chipotle, and then you go to your school. And this is when you experience the human loss. Let's talk just a little bit about that, if you're willing. So tell so, me, tell me, you know, where, where were you, you know, you, you already spoke a little bit about it. Um, honestly, I was just lost. So in my mind, whenever I experience a loss, it's kind of, uh, it's, it's an odd mix of, um, trying to be forward thinking, um, in this odd neglect of emotion. So in my mind, I was very lost, but very practical. So uh, while I had family that was, you know, very emotionally distraught, I had probably the day of passing uh, with the amount of emotional distress. And then the day after, um, I started muting how I felt for the comfort of other people to try to help, you know, family members get through this loss, even though I'm experiencing it as the youngest child as well. You know, not having had my mom, but for 21 years and only a couple months after that 21st birthday, she's gone. So I had this weird mix of, of emotion that I was trying to mute, but at the same time, I was trying to be very structured and comforting to the people that were outwardly experiencing the loss more than I was. And so I started using uh, my language and verbiage and social channels and everything to kind of grow distance between how I felt and, and what I was presenting. So it was this weird thing of falling into my work and falling into my family instead of dealing with loss. Yeah. You, you talk about your verbiage uh, and what does that what what does that mean? Um, in my mind, you know, when I need to gain distance from something, I will start using kind of the most cold, callous dictionary versions of words that I can I can think of. So when people go, "Hey, you know, um, you know, your mama was one of my favorite people," and I would say, "Yes, my mother was was quite a, a heartfelt and heartwarming individual." And so I would use these kind of this 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 vernacular that was so distant that it almost gave people the idea of, oh, well, he's, he's, he's past it, but at the same time, I probably shouldn't go further with it. Mm. And so it was this odd, and it, I don't know, I haven't learned this. This was just almost an innate behavior because no one else in my family really does this. But I had this just distance that I needed to put between how I felt and how I presented myself, and that was, in a way for me, a way to do that. How much did that set you back in everything that you were doing? Quite a bit. Um, 
you know, I use so much of my energy, my mental and physical energy to repress that, that in moments of stress, like intense stress or intense um, environments, it would come out in ways that was completely unexpected. You know, if I was cooking and I'm doing a five course meal for 40 people and I have maybe one person to help me and I'm, you know, up for 36 hours and I shopped for four hours and I've got to prep for however long and deliver. By the time I would either get into the kitchen or out of it, um, I would feel so upset and angry and frustrated. And I had this weird mix of emotion and not understanding that it's the same emotion that's always been there, just surfacing. And it would come out in bouts where I would disassociate from people, you know, for days on end. And it's still something I'm currently working on, but it would come out in ways that was incredibly toxic to myself um, and isolating to myself to the point where people didn't know what was going on with me and felt as though they may have wronged me when in all actuality, I just wasn't processing. So when did that, when did you break through that barrier? Um, I, I started recognizing it probably in honestly, 2021. Um, it wasn't very apparent to me because I still had enough control in my environment that I could keep a distance from it. Um, it only really came to light in uh, moments of, I think it was um, a cooking class um, and a wedding back to back to where I may have had, I think, four hours of sleep between them. And I was just working that entire kind of 48 hour, 50 hour period. And near the end of it, I started noticing I was getting really, really frustrated um, with simple questions. And I had to kind of disassociate. Wow. All right, so then the pandemic hits, kind of during that same time, right? So you've got a couple of dr bombs dropped on you here. And so what did that do to your overall business? Um, honestly, it completely destroyed it. I had, I think, eight to $10,000 worth of client work, and it all vanished within seconds. So what did you do? Um, I started making content. It was the only thing that I could think to do. You know, I had this um, realization that everybody's in the house. You know, I'm in the house. Everybody's in the house. So what what can I do because I can't get out of it? And the only thing I could think to do was cook and cooking. I'm saying, well, I'm not just going to cook and not show people. So let's just share what I'm making. I'm, you know, testing this and trying this out and, um, you know, baking this and doing everything that I'm not used to doing. So why not express that to the people that I have, you know, following my journey? So I started posting it to Instagram. Um, every day. And I just said, you know, day one or day two or day three or day four. And uh, I think other chefs like Christina Tosi started doing the same thing. And she created this baking club out of it. And so I decided to make um, kind of just an engagement for my following. And it really just kind of took on a life of its own after that. You didn't have a clue of what you were doing, though, did you? No, I had no clue. Um, I was <laughs> in my mind, it was just something to pass the time that kept me from kind of going stir crazy. Wow. All right. So all this happens. So take us now back through where you're at now. So you've created all this content. What has all of this afforded you? Um, more than I ever would have thought, you know, in my mind, once MasterChef had elapsed, it was solely up to me to try to figure out my path in life and starting to create content, open up these different windows and avenues and opportunities for people to re-engage with me and for people to really see what I'm capable of, what I can do, um, and what 
what opportunities they saw within my channel, my content, and my ability to really showcase, you know, their products, their service, or whatever. So I started getting um, brand out brands reaching out to me and asking me to use their products. I had brands asking to use their services, and it was all in exchange for the content. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, this is awesome. This is great. But I had a thought that said, what can we do to flip that? And so instead of them just reaching out to me, I started reaching out to those brands. Um, and then I started getting good feedback. I started getting brands that I really love to work with or that I commonly work with and had no working relationship with. I started building that relationship with them. And then I just asked my sister, hey, you know, we're starting to get traction on this. Would you be willing to get behind the camera and maybe put some some motion to what these these pictures are affording? And that was the moment we transitioned from just taking photos and putting them on Instagram to really creating video content with brands. Um, and so since then, that's allowed me to be able to, um, you know, um, work with these brands on a higher level, do multiple campaigns uh, for bigger brands like Johnsonville Sausage um, to one of the most innovative hot sauce companies, Truff, um, and inevitably leading to the ring commercial, you know, um, during the pandemic, the founder of Ring and his family really engaged with the show and they sought me out through email and socials and asked if I would come and cook for them. And since then, we've just been, you know, this this beautiful family, you know, I, I consider them family now. And it's just genuinely changed my trajectory in life. Wow. All right. So no amazing and honest visionary could ever say that they did this alone. By no so means. who are some people that you would thank? that you would say were some of the most pivotal people right now in your life and leading up to this time? Um, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't say that the two people that fundamentally allowed me these opportunities in life would be my mother and father. Um, each one of them played a different role in how my mind works and how I conceptualize from my mother's creativity to my father's uh, business savvy. So, you know, I got the entrepreneurial mixed with the creative. And that's genuinely the 50-50 split of my business. You know, that's that's what I have to be on both sides. Um, Gordon Ramsay was instrumental in giving people the the um, ability to see me as I was and what I could be. You know, and it gave he gave me the spark and gave my followers a spark to follow whatever flame I might set. Um, you know, uh, Jamie Siminoff, the founder of Ring that I was uh, just mentioning, he also not only took a chance on me with a commercial, but he, you know, spoke to me as a person and, and genuinely helped me grow as an individual that's just doing, you know, what I can to seeing what my potential could be. Um, so a lot of them have really painted that picture for me, um, you know, leading up to about 2020, you know, beginning of 2021. Um, they really helped me at the first half of my career. Um, and there's countless others, but they are definitely the first to come to mind. So what would you say to your fellow visionary who is going through some of the most vulnerable times in their life right now, or that's what they think? What would you say to them right now? Um, that while you're going through, you're going to go through a, a spectrum of emotion. You know, there's not going to be just one emotion that you deal with and move on. It's a spectrum from highs to lows, happy to sad, angry you know, you may feel bouts of depression, you may feel these bouts of anger, but all of it is part of the process and getting where you need to be. Um, you know, I'm just now starting to get a taste of where I want to be. And I have gone through pretty much every emotion that I can think of. Um, and I think that my biggest fault was not just embracing them in the moments that I felt them and really just knowing that 
you know, this too shall pass. This is temporary. I think that's, you know, it's, it's old wisdom, but it's wisdom nonetheless. So in my mind, I would say just, you know, embrace those emotions, but see that vision, always see the vision, don't lose sight of it. And it will grow, it'll mutate, it'll change, it'll adjust. It should never be just the same vision because as you grow, it grows. Um, so, you know, as change is, you should be changing. So what do you want other visionaries to do listening right now? What, what would you want them to do right now? Um, I want them to take a look at what their goals are um, and, you know, start trying to chart a path of how to get there. My biggest thing is not being able to ask for help. I'm very, very bad about that. Um, so I would always advise anybody. Amen, brother. <laughs> Amen. I'm not, the, I'm not the greatest with it. I advise anybody, you know, if you have people there that can help you, reach out. If you have people that support you, let them support you. If you have people that are willing to do something that will even push your vision an inch further to the, you know, where it needs to be, let them be that inch. So, um, I would just say, you know, lean on whomever and, and, you know, try to chart that path. How do people connect with you? Um, you know, you can connect with me on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. Um, generally it's at the underscore Gabriel Lewis or simply just Gabriel Lewis. Um, and I will have a new website, chefgabe.com, launching hopefully this month. Great. Perfect. And if they wanted to schedule a private dining experience as well, what's the best way? Uh, best way would be, you know, emailing me at you know, gabriel at chefgabeonline.com or uh, putting in an inquiry to my web, new website, chefgabe.com, when it launches. Chef Gabe, as I always say, I love you. And I also am one of your biggest fans I so appreciate you being on today and just sharing some of the most vulnerable moments in your life, but it seems that it has worked out definitely for the better. I would think you would agree. Definitely. You know, and it doesn't, it doesn't hurt that, uh, one of my greatest, uh, supporters is, uh, <laughs> what do you call it? Um, the, one of the best wingmen period. <laughs> Ooh, the wingman. I like that. Thanks for bringing that in. Well, I am your wingman. <laughs> And I am uh, many other visionaries wingman and I love to serve. I love to assist, you know, and that's, um, it's just really amazing to see where you've come. And it's amazing to see an incredible visionary be able to take feedback, be able to take criticism, be able to take positive, negative, and turn it into a, an amazing masterpiece. So congratulations on that. Definitely appreciate it. And I appreciate all the, the help and love. It's It's been everything. So thank you. Absolutely. Well, everyone, thank you so much for joining us. And definitely would love to talk to you if you're an amazing visionary, which if you're listening, you probably are. Um, definitely take a moment to uh, make a comment on the podcast. Tell us what you think, good or bad. We'll read them all. And uh, definitely continue to follow uh, what we're doing. All right. Chef Gabe, thanks. We'll see you on the next MasterChef. All right. Thanks for joining us today on another episode of the Dangerously Vulnerable Podcast. To learn more about me, the Visionaries Wingman, head over to KaganHinson.com. If you're willing, subscribe to the podcast and leave a comment and tell us what you think. Until next time, keep breaking through those barriers that are holding you back from accomplishing your extraordinary vision.